John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Uh, it's nice to see you here. The worship together. Let's start. Well, this morning's uh, passage occurs in the middle of what is called Jesus' farewell sermon to his disciples, which begins proper after Judas goes off to betray him. Jesus had worked to prepare them for what was about to happen even before the Last Supper. He told them that they would be shattered and scattered like lost sheep. Even the impetuous Peter was told three times that he would deny Jesus under pressure. But in a sense, Jesus was preparing them for future persecution. He knew they would utterly fail him in the upcoming trial, but this was not the last trial that the disciple would face. Jesus knew that the disciple would face incredibly difficult opposition from the world after he left them to return to heaven. Plenty of persecution would result from them proclaiming Jesus Christ in the world. Jesus took time to thoroughly prepare his disciples for the road ahead. He did not candy coat anything. He wanted them to know what they should expect from the world and how they should re respond. The world hates Christians. That's my first point. Jesus emphasizes word, this word word, using it six times 
if you pay attention to verses 18 to 19, six times altogether, the world refers to the organized system under Satan's domain that is opposed to God and his rightful king, Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, the apostle draws the contrast. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Hatred by the world. Jesus reminded his disciples that the world would hate them because they hate him first. Verse 18. This word for hate is in the Greek perfect tense. This indicates a continuous hatred. They came to hate Jesus and continue to hate Jesus. This was not just a single act of hatred, such as their crucifying Jesus. The world still hates Jesus today. This is why the world hates the disciples of Jesus. The thought is clear and profound. If the world hates Jesus, then by extension, the world will hate those who are like Jesus and those who follow him. Since the world is the body of Christ that carries on the life of Christ in the world, the hatred of the world against the church is to be expected as is natural. Jesus reminded the disciples of their call in verse 19. He had called them out of the world and ordained them. They now belong to Jesus rather than the world. Jesus was not going to rapture them out of the world, though, but ordained them to be witnesses to the gospel. They would be in the world, but not of the world. The consequences of being chosen by God is that we are no longer like the world. A believer, having left the kingdom of darkness and having been transferred into the kingdom of God's sons, has a different joy, a different purpose, and a different hope, and a different love. He now has direction, truth, and a standard for life. We now belong to Christ, and we are becoming like Christ. Since we do not belong to the world, the world hates us. The root of the hatreds. The disciples were forewarned of the persecution which they would endure on account of Jesus and his word. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. Servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my words, they will keep yours also. Jesus requested his disciples to remember his earlier words to them 
recorded in John chapter 13, verse 16, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. In John chapter 13, verse 16, and Matthew 10, 24, he was referring to their needs to imitate his humble service. But the principle has other implications. In John chapter 15, verse 20, that we have just read, he was referring to Christian are to identify so closely with Jesus and that they share in his sufferings. Jesus bears God's word and experiences hostility. His disciples who bear his word will also experience hostility. He, uh, how one treats the master determines the treatments of his servants. On the opposite side, some people follow and obey Jesus' teaching. So they also responded to the apostles' message. Those who appreciate Jesus' teaching will appreciate the teaching of those who commissioned to teach by the Master. They will keep the word of Jesus' followers only to the extent they kept Jesus' word. The disciples were called to be faithful to what Jesus had told them and in their witness of him. If Jesus did not candy coat things, then neither should we. We need to honest we need to be honest with the world about the ramifications of the gospel. Some will accept and be a cause of rejoicing. Others will reject and hate them along with Jesus with an abiding hatred. Without the full preaching of the gospel, no one will come to be saved. This means that rejection is the cost of a cost for conducting the Lord's business faithfully. Verse 21 gives the root cause of the persecution of the faithful is because the world does not know God. Verse 21 says, But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. The source of the world's hatred against the disciple is their identification with Jesus. Jesus said that those who persecute them do not know God. The one who sent him, the word know, isn't just a factual knowledge, but a relational one. They really do not know God at all. How could they? When they respond in hatred to the message of love, the world rejects the Father who is made known in Jesus Christ. They show this by rejecting Jesus. The world continues to show their rejection of the Father and the Son by rejecting those who represent him. My second point, 
the extent of man's sin. In verses 22 to 25, Jesus reveals the extent of man's sin. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus points out in verse 22 that after he came and spoke the word of God to mankind, there is no excuse left for man's unbelief. The seriousness of rejecting Jesus is proclaimed here. Jesus came as the revelation of God. If Jesus had come, the sin would not be so great. Sorry, if Jesus had not come, the sin would not be so great. Before Jesus' coming, people might have pleaded ignorance as an excuse for sin. But now that the light has come, those who willfully reject it have no excuse. There is no way to justify their defiance of God, for he has disclosed their inner corruption and hypocrisy. Remember, Jesus said that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment, even for the pagan cities of Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, than the unrepentant cities of Israel, where he publicly taught, uh, taught and performed many of his miracles. That is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. The greater the peerage, the greater the responsibility. No greater peerage can be given and enjoyed than that of hearing Jesus' teaching and seeing his works. It's still true today. There is more than enough evidence to believe in Jesus Christ. But people reject that evidence and make up other excuses for their disbelief because they enjoy their sin and they don't want to repent. In verse 23, Jesus laid down a general principle. Who, whoever hates me hates my father also. Jesus wants there to be no doubt as to the seriousness of the conduct of man in his day and our day. Jesus and the Father have the closest possible connection. The revelation in Jesus and by Jesus is so tied to the Father that to hate Jesus is to hate God. The reverse is also true. The hatred of Jesus can be traced back to their hatred of the God they claim to serve. No one who rejects Jesus is truly worshipping God at all. Christianity makes absolutely exclusive claims for which there can be no compromise. 
We must be honest enough to tell the world this, even if it means they reject us. The love of God constrains us to be brutally honest with the same love that God has for the world. To not be honest is not only to hate the world, but also to despise the one who sent Jesus to save whosoever believed on him. Verses 24 to 25 amplify the truth in verses 22 to 23. In verse 24, Jesus points out the significance of his word. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have sinned and hated both me and my father. Jesus has done miraculous works among them that no one else could do. These were miracles that only God himself could do. Jesus had demonstrated that he had authority over disease, sickness, demons, nature, even deaths, as well as authority to forgive sin. Against the idea here is not that if Jesus had not performed the miracles, they would have been sinless, but that the miracles increase their culpability. They would have no excuse. They saw the miracles that Jesus did that were contrary to the laws of physics, but instead of praising God for his mercy and grace, they claimed that Jesus was doing it by Baal-zebul, the ruler of demons. That is Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Their reaction proved their hatred for Jesus and the Father. Uh, this section ends in verse 25 with Jesus quoting from the Psalms a prophecy concerning himself. They hated Jesus without a just cause. This Jesus who came to his own world which he created and to his people, own people was rejected by all who did not accept him. Some did, to whom Jesus gave them authority to become the children of God. What cause or accusation can be brought against God who sent his Son into the world out of the motivation of pure, merciful love? What more could God do than this? If one rejects this pardon, what hope is there for him or her? None, in fact. God has every right to accuse the world of its sins and hold every person to strict account. 
Also, by third point, our responsibility to the hostile world. Jesus leaves us in this world to proclaim His glory, but how can we bear witness in the face of such hostility? We can do so only through the Spirit of Truth. In verse 26, Jesus says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. The Spirit will continue the witness to Christ after he returns to heaven. How does he do that? He does it through the Word of God, which he inspired, but also through believers. As Peter testified, in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. The Spirit testifies through us. B. Christ's disciples. Verse 27. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. This refers in the first place to the apostolic witness because they were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry until he ascended into heaven. They testified about what they had seen and heard. They didn't make up cleverly devised tales, but were eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty. We have their factual testimony in the New Testament. They were on hand to experience all that Jesus has said and done. John later described in 1 John, Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, his own experience with Jesus. What was from the beginning? What we have heard? What we have seen with our eyes? What we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life? This life was revealed. We have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. John was present to see, hear, and even touch Jesus. His witness would be true. Now we have been charged with the task of sustaining and expanding this gospel witness until every tribe, tongue, and nation has heard the good news of Jesus. Finally, persecution. In 
chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. Jesus discusses the topic of this persecution. However, these verses don't refer to worldly people in general, but to hostile religious leaders. In other words, the biggest enemies of Christians are not atheists, agnostics, humanists, or liberals. Those who are seeking to persecute and kill Christians are religious zealots and leaders. In John chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. These things, the phrase these things, refer to Jesus' word in chapter 15, verses 18 to 27, which we have just expounded. The only other instance of the verb stumble in John's Gospel is chapter 6, verse 61, where it includes the idea of no longer following Jesus. It appears to have the same sense in this context. Jesus did not want his disciples to stumble in their discipleship after his departure because the events that would follow took them completely by surprise. Jesus' point is that apart from his warning, their faith would be shattered and they would give up in defeat. Remember, they were still going to be scattered that very night. While they may have stumbled initially, the book of Acts demonstrates that the disciples did not fall away. Instead, they became emboldened to preach the gospel. Jesus informed his disciples of the consequences of persecution in the, uh, the following verses, verses 2 and 3. They will put you out of synagogue. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. Being put out of synagogue means more than merely lacking a place to worship. It means being excommunicated from the whole Jewish community. It is social persecution. But even death will be the lot for some of these men. In fact, we know what did happen to them. Ten of, ten of the eleven were killed for their faith. Peter, according to tradition, was crucified upside down, and James was beheaded. These deaths were performed by leaders who claimed to be doing God a favor. All except John, it appears, died martyrs' deaths. John, the writer of this gospel, died in exile 
for his faith. These verses are fulfilled in the days of the early church, when the Jews believed they were on God's side, though they put Christ to death and persecuted disciples. However, these verses also seem to have an extended relevance to today. Throughout the world, Christians are being persecuted and martyred by zealous followers of other faiths. The reason that religious folks persecute and kill Christians is because they don't know God. Their religious motives do not spring from devotion to the one true God, but to their religion. Jesus concludes in verse 4 by saying, But I have said these things to you so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. The way Jesus states these verses make clear and there will be persecution. Jesus taught these things so that his disciples would not fall away from the Lord. When these difficulties, persecutions and rejection occur, remember these words and be prepared for that coming hour. For these apostles will certainly experience rejection. In the same way, we also need to prepare ourselves so that we are ready for rejection from the world. We need to listen to what Jesus is saying so that we will not abandon our faith when we are rejected by the world. What are the applications we can draw from this morning passage? First, expect persecution. Expect from the world what Jesus received from the world. Mostly hatred, but some fruit. He says in chapter 15 verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. If you expect everyone to respond favorably, you will be discouraged when they don't. But if you expect everyone to respond negatively, you won't even try to bear witness. Jesus promises that some will believe, though, are through your weakness. So keep proclaiming the good news. The persecution you endure may not be the physical threats that so many others have had to endure and do endure in many places around the world today. But persecution is part of Christian life. In a pluralistic society such as ours, which still has religious freedoms, 
such persecution usually comes in the form of being called names, mocked, excluded by people and groups. It may escalate to slander, unfair discrimination, lack of advancement, and even job loss, or being sued. All of these have become common in the West. If you are not being persecuted to some degree, then you have reason to wonder why. Perhaps it's just God is just being very gracious to you at the present. In which case, thank Him. Thank Him for His mercy. But perhaps it is because you are more like the world than Christ. The world loves those who are like it. If that is the case, then ask God to change you and step out in faith to obey Jesus' commands and then as you demonstrate more of Christ living in and through you, be prepared for the reaction as you join in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Remember Jesus said, you would be blessed if you do and that you should rejoice and be glad for your reward in heavens would be great. That's Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12. Second, conduct ourselves before the world. We should never be the source of offense by being insensitive, rude, or obnoxious. The gospel is already offensive enough. We don't need to make it any more offensive than it already is. We must strive to conduct ourselves with wisdom, grace, and sensitivities towards unbelievers. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. We must learn to love the world when we are hated and persecuted. We must continually avoid the temptation to fight back and be combative, harsh, and vindictive. When we behave in this manner, we lose our weakness. We must recognize that Jesus' love is the only proper response to hate and persecution. Only He can soften hearts and cause our enemies to be receptive to Him. Third, more contact with the world. Some of us, like myself, need to have more contact with the world. We are not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. We cannot testify to the truth about Christ if we don't have any contact with the world. If you are always surrounded by Christians, ask the Lord for opportunity to rub shoulders with people who need the Savior. You can't testify to the truth about Christ if you don't have contact with the world. Lastly, pray for awareness 
and boldness. Pray for greater awareness of opportunities and emboldens and boldness to speak out. I often think about what I could have said about an hour after the opportunity has passed. Very few of us ever err on the side of being too bold. None other than what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So may the Lord grant us boldness to share the gospel to the people around us. God bless you and Amen.